Let's open the Word of God this afternoon. First of all, Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, and there we read the verses 31 to 39, and afterwards 1 John 2, 1 to 6. First of all, Romans 8, beginning at verse 31. And this is the word of God. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then we turn to 1 John chapter 2. John 2 beginning at verse 1 my little children these things I write to you so that you may have not you so that you may not sin and if anyone sins we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the whole world now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we, are, we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself to also to walk just as he walked. So far, the word of God. And we confess this afternoon, Lord's Day 18, where Christ's ascension is confessed and also then his being an, our advocate and interceding for us as we read. Lord's Day 18, beginning at question and answer 46. What do, you, what do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven? That Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven, and that he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. 
Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world as he has promised us? Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth. But with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. But are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other? If his human nature is not present wherever his divinity is? Not at all. For his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on and nevertheless is within this human nature and remains personally united with it. And then question and answer 49 where we focus on this afternoon. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us as members up to himself. And third, he sends us his spirit as a counter pledge by whose power we seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God and not the things that are on earth. So far, our confession. Brothers and sisters in the Lord and boys and girls who belong to the Lord, if only Jesus was still on earth. Maybe you, you've sometimes thought that, eh? If only he was here. We could see him, go near him, hear his voice, see him perform miracles. It'd be a lot easier to believe in him then, maybe. But would crowds of people really believe in him? Think about when he was on earth before. How many people believed in him when he was walking, physically walked on this planet? How many people believed in him, even though they saw him, heard a lot about him? But believing isn't the same, uh, believing that isn't the same as believing in. People who just believed that he existed eventually crucified him without believing in him. Because believing in him means you need to see in him uh, your only savior. And that would also mean following him and entrusting yourself to him. The thing is, congregation, it's good for our faith that Jesus is no longer here on earth, but that he ascended into heaven to God's throne. And that's already in the first answer of Lord's Day 18, that he was taken up from the earth into heaven and that he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. And he's there for our benefit and the disciples must have realized something of that because it says in Luke, right at the end of the book of Luke, Luke, the gospel of Luke, it says that they returned to Jerusalem after his ascension. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy. How could they be so happy that he was gone now? They realized that he is there for their benefit. And with that in mind, we pray, pay attention this afternoon to what we confess in Lord's Day 18, focusing on question and answer 49, the benefits of Christ's ascension into heaven. And three, three things that we can think of, three benefits. He prays for us in the first place. Secondly, he thinks of us. And thirdly, he lives in us. First of all, 
Jesus' ascension into heaven benefits us because he intercedes for us, prays for us. Congregation, we read part of Romans 8 where the apostle writes, verse 34, that no one can condemn believers because Christ Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for them. The word used here for interceding means that he intervenes for us takes up our cause at God's throne. He is our advocate there in heaven before the throne. As we read in 1 John 2, he's our advocate. In other words, he petitions, it's like a lawyer, he petitions God the Father on our behalf, on behalf of his people. And then he, he points to his sacrifice for sinners. Maybe his hands, hey, they're still pierced. And he says, Father, forgive them for my sake and help them to persevere in their faith. So that means that when I neglect to pray, then Christ prays for me. If I don't see a danger and I overestimate myself and end up putting myself in spiritual danger, he intercedes to the Father for me. Even if in the future I end up in a coma or become demented, my ascended Lord prays for me. He always lives with the Father to pray for his own, the ones that father, the Father gave him, his elect. As it says in Hebrews 7 verse 25, Jesus always lives to make intercession for his people. He lives in heaven to make intercession for his people. Now you might think, well, we pray too, don't we? Daily with petitions and requests for help and guidance and comfort. But the thing is, our prayers are, are imperfect. And as such, they would never reach God's throne. That's what our advocate does with our prayers then. He brings them to God's throne, purifies them, and brings them before God's throne. So that they reach there. Because we often ask for things that wouldn't be good for us at the time. Or we complain to God about things that are actually beneficial for us at the time. And we ask for things that aren't really important. And we forget to ask for the things that are important. We're so focused on earthly things. And we look to heavenly things too with earthly eyes. And our prayers are therefore often more habitual and thoughtless than we realize ourselves. And our motives for seeking something in prayer aren't always pure. But Jesus takes what's impure and imperfect out of our prayers and then he lays them before God's throne. As the priest in the Old Testament burned the incense before the altar before the, the ark behind the curtain, he takes our prayers and lays them before the Father so that they are sweet smelling. So we pray to the Father, but always in Jesus' name. Through him, we can always find our way to God the Father's heart, even if our prayers are imperfect. And true faith congregation knows that this is the kind of Savior we need. Because if our life 
only hung on this thin thread of our own prayers and how good our own prayers are, things wouldn't go well with us, would they? Because we're unable to pray as we ought. But our spiritual well-being doesn't hang just on the thread of our imperfect prayers, but hangs on the strong cable of our Savior's intercession for us. God the Father always hears him because God the Father himself brought him into his throne room when he ascended into heaven. God the Father opened heaven for him and he ascended there to God's throne. And there the God the Father said to him, you fulfilled everything for your people and I will do for them everything you ask for them to bring them where you want them to be with you. And so, congregation, it's for our benefit that Christ ascended into heaven. And therefore, lift up your hearts on high in heaven where Christ our advocate is at the right hand of his heavenly Father because it's our, to our benefit that he is there. Remember that. God, does, God the Father does everything the Son asks. Forgive them, Father. Strengthen them. Encourage them. Take them home to us here. It's time for them to be here, Father. And what an assurance and comfort for everyone who is joined to Christ by true faith. What a benefit to rejoice in, congregation. We come to the second benefit. Christ's ascension benefits us because he always thinks of us there. He doesn't forget us, in other words. The second and third benefits mentioned in answer 49 are closely connected. You see that when, when uh, it mentions there, we have our flesh in heaven as a, a sure pledge. And then we see also in the third part, he sends his spirit as a counter pledge. Pledge and counter pledge. What are they? Well, think of a man and a woman who are engaged to be married and plan to emigrate to a distant country. This was our forefathers. Many of us, our forefathers emigrated here. Sometime before the wedding, the man and the bridegroom goes to that distant country to make preparations for when his bride can join him there. So he goes away from his bride-to-be, but he takes something from her along to continually remind himself of her, to keep her in his mind and heart while he is there far away from her. Let's say a lock of her hair or so. And from that faraway place, he then also sends his bride-to-be a picture of himself in the new country maybe standing by the house he bought there to help her, so to help her keep the longing in her heart to be with him in the future. That's where I'm going, and I want to be with my husband, to be. And that's, the kind, of, that's kind of what answer 49 means with pledge and counterpledge. Bridegroom and bride-to-be each take something with them which keeps the other in mind and heart. They give something to each other to keep each other in mind and heart. To begin with, heavenly bridegroom Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and left his bride to be his church here on earth. 
He's gone to that faraway place. But he took something of hers along. A pledge to constantly remind him of her. And we need to remember then that the Lord Jesus returned to heaven differently than he left heaven. When he left, he was true God of God. But he ascended back into heaven as true God and as true man. Flesh and blood man. He took the human body he received when he was born here on earth to the Virgin Mary. He, he took that with him into heaven. To God's throne. He took something of ours into heaven. So when he looks at his body and he thinks about his own body in heaven, he sees something of us. He can't avoid seeing that human body of his. And so we can be assured that he's not going to forget us. He has our DNA in heaven, so to speak. Oh, sometimes we might have the impression that he's forgotten us and then we call on him and he doesn't seem to hear Difficult things overcome us, which could have, but apparently he did not prevent. He could have, but didn't prevent. And you maybe pray, oh Lord, why have you forgotten me? But when we lift our hearts on high where Christ, our advocate, is at the right hand of God, then we realize again, he cannot and will not forget us. us. He will not forget his own. Because he's always reminded of you and me because he has a true human body as we do. And then he could test, he could test me, but he'll never forget me. And of course, the fact that he's there with a human body like we have also proves to us that we can be where he is in God's presence too. And he longs to have us with him, his bride with him, and his bride also will long to be with him, his bride to be. She wants to follow him to that faraway place where he went to prepare a place for her. In the meantime, though, there is constant contact between the bridegroom and the bride-to-be. There's covenant communication via our prayer and worship and via his word and his supper. That's what the Lord's Supper this afternoon is about. It's a visible and tangible expression of Christ's love for us. And by taking part in faith, we express our love for him and our hope in him. And in fact, the Lord's Supper, as we hear in the form later on too, is a foretaste of the abundant joy which the Lord has promised. And we look forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb when we will drink the wine new with him in the kingdom of his Father. That's what a, a bride did in those days. Drank the wine new with her bridegroom. In the meantime, though, there is still that separation between us and him. The bridegroom Jesus in his father's house and his bride here, not yet with him. Still, that there is that longing to be together. And we can be sure that Jesus longs to have his whole church with him, to take her to himself. That's how we confess that in answer 49. He, our head, also wants to take us as members up to himself. He wants 
his bride to be with him so he can show his full love to her and shower her with all the gifts he has. And he promises to do that to his bride, his whole church, also to the weakest, the smallest, the least, the most unattractive members. Every day he's reminded of her when he looks at himself, his own body. And he thinks then of his people here on earth. And his heart goes out to his bride. And he knows the struggles and fears and temptations his people go through here. And he longs to bring them into the joy of living with him in glory. The question is, congregation, do word and sacrament also this afternoon bring us bride to be here to also long to be with him, the, the bridegroom? Do we in true and sincere faith lift up our hearts to him on high in heaven seated at the right hand of God longing for his bride to be with him, to be one with her? And that brings us to the third part of the sermon this afternoon. Christ's ascension into heaven benefits us because he lives in us. The third benefit in answer 49 is that he sends us his spirit as the counter pledge. Now you remember that example? The bridegroom takes something belonging to his bride to be in the far country where they're going to live when they marry, but he also sends something from that land to his bride to help her keep him in mind and heart. When he arrived in heaven after his ascension, he sent his Holy Spirit to his church, his bride. You might notice there's nothing mentioned in the, in the catechism about Pentecost, and yet it's here. Here is Pentecost. Earlier, earlier on, he had told his disciples it was to their advantage that he was going away. And you can see why that was, too. When Jesus was on earth, he could only be in one place in one time. But ascending into heaven and sending his spirit to his church at Pentecost, he could be with all believers all over the world at the same time. So he took something of ours, our flesh, into heaven, and he sent something of his from heaven to us, the spirit, his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a wonderful gift from him. From heaven, Jesus poured him out on his church. And when the Spirit lives on you, you can see the Lord Jesus. You actually see something that's invisible. When the Spirit lives in you, you actually have some of heaven in you here already then too. He works heavenly gifts in us. Love for Christ, joy in God, desire for holiness, Aversion to sin, love for one another. Even if those things aren't perfect in believers yet here in this life, they do live and grow in those things through the work of the Spirit of Jesus. And those first fruits of the Spirit are then a pledge from the Lord Jesus that the heavenly fullness will come to. It reminds us all the time, makes us long for that perfection in heaven with our Savior. So in the Spirit, we as true believers already have something of heaven in us, in our lives. And it's true, it's not perfect by a long shot, but the beginning is there. 
the first installment of what is coming, you could say, and it can grow in us. And answer 49 describes what Christ's Spirit also works in us, then quoting from Colossians 3, by the, the Spirit's power, by whose power we seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and not the things that are on earth. Congregation, that's from Colossians 3. The Bible shows us that God has made two realities. Two realities. This material world and the heavenly spiritual world. Atheists will only know the material world. What they can see and touch is only real to them. But the Spirit works in believers so that they know that there's more than this material world, which you can see and touch. Only what, only what can be seen is real but to, to the atheist, but the Spirit works in believers so that they know that there's more than just this material world. There's also this spiritual heavenly world which cannot be seen, but where Jesus has gone before us. Think of what Peter writes, 1 Peter 1 verse 8, Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Already longing for that, even though we don't see it. We're so sure of it then. Congregation, due to our sinful nature, there is always the danger that we also become taken in with just this material reality around us and that we forget that heavenly spiritual world where Jesus is at the right hand of Almighty God. That we become consumed by all the struggles and the pleasures, the sorrows and the joys, the worries and the welfare of this unstable and, yes, this unstable and temporary life here only. And then we become uncertain and afraid for ourselves and our children because it's all up to us alone. It's up to chance, fate. And then we don't seek our stability in the spiritual and eternal realities anymore. But see, that is the benefit of Christ's ascension, namely that he sends his spirit to his church to help us Keep the reality of that spiritual world in view as the most and as the most important thing in our hearts and in our minds. He sends his spirit to strengthen us and to help us to keep the things that are above where Christ is in our hearts and minds. The spiritual reality of Jesus Christ and all he has done and continues to do for us. And that's that's also why it's so important to be a living member of Christ's church and to take part in worship every Sunday again. You get a spiritual reset so you don't get taken up and drawn in into only being busy with your life and worries here in this material world. Every Sunday you realize there's this whole other world and it's eternal and this is just temporary stuff down here. And this afternoon, we celebrate the Lord's Supper then. It's one of the means of the spirit of the ascended Lord Jesus Christ to strengthen our focus on him, on the spiritual things, on what he has accomplished for us, on his being there for us, on his coming again to take his bride into his eternal wedding feast. 
And that's also why the exhortation in the form, just before the celebration of the Lord's Supper, it says there, let us not cling with our hearts to the outward symbols of bread and wine, to the material things, but lift our hearts on high in heaven where Jesus Christ, our advocate, is at the right hand of his heavenly Father. Congregation, if we look for life and stability and future in Jesus Christ at God's right hand, if we look to Jesus who prays for us there, who never forgets us, who is coming to take us to himself, then you look at things differently than others do. Right? Then, to use the Apostle Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 6, I might be sad and yet always joyful. I may be depressed, but I'm never hopeless. Then I may be anxious, but never frightened. Then I may have nothing, and yet knowing that I possess everything. I may be dying, and yet looking forward to living. Then you see the spiritual world. How good it is to know Jesus' ascension, congregation. Amen.